Welcome to Confessions of a Terrible Leader, where real leaders share the raw truth about the lessons they learned the hard way so you don't have to. Join our host, Lacey Nelson, founder of Transcend Leadership Collective and former terrible leader. Every leader can become worthy of being followed if they are willing to put in the work. On this podcast, we share the messy stories and behind-the-scenes reality of what the work actually entails. We welcome you to this community of revolutionary leaders who believe honest communication, healthy conflict, and building cultures of acceptance, respect, and trust are not only possible, but non-negotiable for cultivating world-class teams. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to Confessions of a Terrible Leader. Your host, Lacey Nelson here, and former terrible leader. And I have a guest today that is, uh, I've known him for a little while. Uh, He is the owner and principal CEO, I don't know what his official title is, (laughs) of uh, PTI Transportation and a logistics company, and has been in leadership positions probably for most of his life, I would say. He's been leading in one form or the other, actually studied it a bit at university. And without further ado, I want to introduce my little brother and person I am so happy to have in my life, not only as my brother, but also as my dear friend, Chad Peterson. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Very sweet introduction. I feel the same. Now, now, what did I leave out about like your, how would you describe where you're at in the trajectory of like your leadership career starting from whatever point you think is relevant? Where am I at? Uh, a long ways from where I want to be. Uh, <laughs> we are growing though, and that is a good thing. I started off I mean, I've always been the captain of the sports teams I was on growing up. Um, It's been a natural progression for me to be in positions of leadership. And as I got into business, I rapidly uh, moved into positions of leadership again. So it went from high school sports to college sports to to business. And then uh, within three or four years, uh, there were some major events that transpired that put me in a position to own the company that I own. And so I've been just plugging away at leadership for a really long time, or at least I've been in charge and work. <laughs> and right now we're, you know, I hit a point where, uh, the bottleneck of my company was showing up and it was me. Mm-hmm. And a small business and is a small business, but everything was flowing through me. Every person answered to me that was in the room and every little bit of the company was um, moving through me and it was A, overwhelming and B, uh, absolutely putting a ceiling on what we could do. And within the last, I would say, it's been like an eight year recognition of that and probably two to three years of actually doing things towards making that different and um, thinking I was doing that for the whole eight years. But in reality, like systems are being put in place now and 
um, hierarchies and which is seems to be a bad word these days, but it's true. And all of that is being put in place where I have less people that answer directly to me and we're able to get around um, some of that bottleneck now and see progress. Um, so that in a nutshell is where I'm at. Um, yeah. And then I also other areas of my life where I'm a leader, clearly at home, I have a family and uh, my wife and my wonderful four children. And then I coach. So I am um, in the community a lot uh, with that. And then uh, my wife and I also uh, started a young life group at uh, our kids school. And Mm -hmm. so we are involved regularly with that as well. So it's kind of in all walks of my life. Um, I'm an assistant coach, not a head coach. Thank the Lord. So I (laughs) and support someone who has made a bunch of decisions. I am grateful for that and love that position. Um, And that is in a nutshell where, where I'm at. Does that answer the Yes, it does. That's a very big nutshell. And it does answer the question. Okay. Eight years from awareness to acceptance, right? So I talk about this journey with people, like the change trajectory that people go on. Anytime humans are going to make a change, we it goes awareness, acceptance, action. And we tend to sit, the, the longest time is from aware, awareness to uh, acceptance. That is the longest period of time that we'll just kind of sit and go, well, I guess this is a problem, but I'm still going to keep doing what I'm doing. <laughs> and so, or, or I'm going to, I'm, I'm not going to do anything painful to change it. I'm just aware here we are. And then finally, once there's acceptance of the reality that if I keep doing this, it's, I'm go either I'm going to crash. My business is going to crash. I can't keep doing this. Once you hit that acceptance point, action comes usually within days. And so you said eight years sitting in that gap from awareness to acceptance. What kept you there? Why did it take so long? What were you telling yourself that allowed you to think, okay, it's, it's fine. It's really, it's okay. I can keep doing the same thing. Well, I didn't tell myself that. What I did was uh, constantly throw things at the wall and mm-hmm wear my staff out with these never ending, like it's going to be different because we're going to do it this way. I knew the problem was there. Uh, at one point I was really like excited about professional development. I was in Nashville. I went to a Dave Ramsey entree leadership immersive where I was just a part of like this five day journey. And it was super exciting. I mean, mm-hmm. and I would say really that was my first glimmer of holy crap. I haven't set this thing up very well. To give you a thorough understanding, when we got done, so I paid for this package where there was like help with installing all of the things that you've learned over the week. Mm-hmm. And it was a little upsell that they had. And I was like, yes, I will pay for that. And so I went to this deal and I'm working on like, it was so humbling for me sitting in these rooms with all these other entrepreneurs and all these people that uh, weren't necessarily thrust into the position in the same way that I was. And I'm talking to these people and they're working on budgets. They're working on like all this stuff. And they're like, what are you working on? And I was like, my mission statement. I had to break it all the way back down to the very, very beginning of mission statements, core values. And so we, you know, 
I left that place realizing that I didn't even have a lens that I was looking through at my Mm -hmm. company using as a filter um, for how we do things in the marketplace and what we bring service wise. And so it was the beginning of change for me, but also accepting that I basically didn't own a company. I had, I owned a job and that was my initial awareness that it was like, okay, it's time to turn this into a business instead of a job that I'm just like scrambling to fulfill every single day from that. And now is the eight year gap. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of us have that moment in small business ownership or business ownership period where you're like, yeah, I don't really own a business. I own a job. How do you delineate the two? I know how I do, but I want to know how, how do you decide what's the difference between owning a job and owning a business? Uh, It's whether I'm in a position on a daily basis to work in or on my company, you know, and I was working in my company day in and day out. And I guess what I mean by that is I was doing the day-to-day tasks that it takes to complete the service that we offer. I still do some of that, but now it's by choice and, and I'm fully aware of it. But I also make time to get the bird's eye view to step back and to be able to see the whole picture and do a lot of vision work with my employees and talk to them about goal setting. And, you know, things have changed immensely from that perspective. But main difference, in or on, and that's what I mean by both of those. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. I'm going to change it up a little bit and ask you for context for our listeners. So Chad and I are five years apart. We share the same parents, but we, we also share the same childhood. I want to ask you, Chad, how would you describe our upbringing? What was it like to grow up in the Peterson household at 408 West Pine, number 99? <laughs> A blessing in disguise. Mm. Um. Look, we had parents that loved us. We never questioned that. We had parents that showed up. We never questioned that. Sometimes they showed up a little too much. Uh, <laughs> I, I only say that because I couldn't get into the same amount of trouble as my friends. I don't really feel like they showed up too much. Um, <laughs> but we did definitely have parents that cared. And they made that little trailer park that we grew up in. They made our house a home. Mm-hmm. And and we knew that we were safe there. So I want to say that before I say that shit was crazy. Uh, <laughs> Agreed. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, honestly, I feel like we had parents that were playing the hand that they had, and, yep. and quite honestly, doing the absolute best with it that they could do. And and I and I mean that with respect, like. I don't know that other people could have done better with the same hand that they were dealt. They did a good job. We, our father had a small amount of education in his life and mm-hmm. huge amount of work ethic and yep. constantly working hard. And mom did a good job at making sure that we were going to school and being fed and, you know, which sounds really basic but it and, and a thing that a lot of us at this at least the people I'm around today, those are things that we take for granted. But yep. those things were not being done for all the kids that we were surrounded by. Hundred um, percent. And so uh, that's all the feel good stuff. But we grew up in a rough area to grow up in. We were in the get home before dark era, and it was. Uh, 
I mean, we had drug busts all around us all the time. We had a lot of gang activity around us all the time. We had a lot of peer pressures around us all the time. Tons and tons and tons of kids with uh, working class laboring parents that just weren't home for their yeah. kids. And so, because they couldn't be, because they had, right. and so their kids were running amok and making um, unsupervised decisions that kids will make when they're unsupervised. We were surrounded by that on the regular. And it was, uh, had we not had the foundation at home that we had, it could have turned out a lot different than it did. But, Absolutely. And when I say blessing in disguise, I mean, neither of us are raising our children in an environment like that. No, our damn kids are so bougie. So bougie. Spoiled as hell. Um, yep. In fact, that's like, as a parent, I'm trying to figure out how to not ruin them with opportunity at the, a young age. Like, where do I draw the lines? When do I say, no, you have to work for this? You know, I just, I feel like um, getting to know what that side of the tracks look like and being submerged in it and living in it for so long, like, it really gives you an appreciation for where we're at, but also where other people are at when they're struggling through it. I feel no better than any of those people. I just feel fortunate. And I'm glad that that, that, that the life's not a struggle for us like it was for mom and dad. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Okay. So one of the things that I really had to work on, um, and I'm still working on is shifting in mindset and understanding just unless you've been there, the complexities of like class hopping right? Of going from one socioeconomic status, being raised in one socioeconomic status, and then now living and experiencing a whole different socioeconomic status. How does that, like, what are some of the things that you have had to rewire in yourself? Also the flip side, what are the things that you're like, oh, I never want to let go of that, which I mean, I think you just highlighted with the whole, like, we're not better than any other person. Everyone matters. We were raised in poverty, qualified for all the benefits, if we want to be technical, and surrounded by amazingly hardworking people doing the best they could that were super smart, just in different ways. Super smart. I can't, to this day, I can't build a staircase. I can't fix anything with my hands. I say staircase because those angles, how, how, how does that happen? What have been, what have been some of your challenges with literally, like, going from one socioeconomic status to now being at a place where you're at the extreme other opposite end of the spectrum all in not that long. Right. Well, there's definitely tons of stigmas being thrown around and from each angle. Uh, mm-hmm. And I love that I can speak to the falseness of a lot of them on either side that I'm on. But sometimes the stigmas are stigmas because, you know, they, the shoe fits. Uh, yep. but, but I will <laughs> say uh, a lot of the... So when you're poor, you always feel like rich people have such an easy life and they have everything is just handed to them and they're somehow have worked the system and evading all the taxes. Anybody who's remotely successful knows that part's a lie. And, uh, but they just are, that life's just so much easier. Now, I will say uh, when you are struggling for basic needs, Mm -hmm. money does make life easier. Oh, yes. Yeah, 100%. And I want to acknowledge that, hands down. And when you have your basic needs met, and it's something you take for granted, which is what I was talking about earlier, that and everything, uh, then you take that for granted for sure. 
Um, so I think both sides uh, of this equation don't understand the basic needs thing from each angle. Because once you get past the basic needs, I feel like money just kind of exposes character after that. Mm. And, um, Talk more about that. What does that mean? How does money expose character? The more access you have to financial security in the way that our economy is built in this country, the more you can, the more freedom you have. You can travel more. You can uh, pay for things to make your life easier. It gets more comfortable as far as you don't have to how to build your stairs because you can just pay somebody to come build your stairs. Exactly. Uh, whereas other people have to build their own staircase. Those are the things where uh, life gets a little bit different, but none of it's easy. Mailbox money isn't real. So my answer to your question, what does it mean more money exposes character? The easier it gets to take care of your basic needs, the more time you have to pour into other things. And when you choose what to pour your time into and what you choose to pour your energy and your excess finances into and everything else, it starts to show a little bit of where your heart's at and the things that you're passionate about and the things that you care about and what really makes you tick as a human being. And I think for me, there have been seasons where I start to think a little more of myself than I should. And I have an amazing wife that will... Um, and when I say amazing, I mean infuriating in these moments, but that will <laughs> and let me know that uh, my crap stinks just like everybody else and I need to get a hold of myself. But I do feel like you just start to see more and more of, of a person's character. You know, are they generous when they are in this situation? Are they kind to everybody in these situations? You know, there's more of a platform because you don't need something from somebody else. So your motives aren't based on that. Mm-hmm. I love that and would agree with that assessment as well and experience. I think it is it is such a gift to be able to have been on both sides of the fence and understand the also I think something we both share in common is like we can talk to anyone. Yep. There is an ability to communicate in a very respectful like I see you I'm talking to a human relational way to to anyone. And one of the things I had to get over for myself was thinking my voice didn't count. I used to be really, really intimidated by people with money because I had built up this bias about what I thought their life was like, what I, I was making all these stories up about what I thought they thought about me and about people like me or people like us where we grew up. And I just think it's so funny that I've now been placed in this position to have all of that completely shattered and to just really have such a deeper empathy and love for all people across the spectrum and recognize that like you can be like you said about character like people that are really really poor can also be really really greedy and selfish and people that are real just like people that are wealthy can and on the flip side people that are really really poor can also be exceptionally generous and open-handed just like people with resources can and that is i when you're speaking to character that that's the connection i'm making is that that can happen it reveals that that character and yeah when you're not struggling so much just to meet your basic needs feed your kids pay your rent there is just more space for that other stuff to emerge because you have the bandwidth for it absolutely yeah. and i mean like 
you know, I've been at a lot of rotary functions. You know, one of the things that's happened that was surprising to me is when you do start to experience some monetary gain and success, the phone starts ringing. Somehow you get on this list of ask this dude for money. And so uh, yep. I've definitely been part of a lot of fundraising efforts around our community. But I'll tell you, uh, it, it's hard for me to hear people talk poorly about some of the people that are successful in this valley and they have these opinions but i go to these events where rotary is raising money to put together a park in the rough areas of our city and they want to you know put lights in and things that whew, man talk about hidden grown-up expenses you know run some power to some lights and so yeah big financial moves that they're making and and there is no motive in that for these people other than let's get these kids away to see when it gets dark outside and they're pouring money into this and pouring time and energy into this and they're having these little ribbon cutting ceremonies and you know it's not because they want their face in the newspaper it's not benefiting them to do any of that they are there because they just care and mm-hmm. they have resources to to influence that way and they do and they don't need somebody to toot their horn about it so people don't know they're doing all this stuff and then they get these bad raps in the community you know the the owners of mcdonald's in this community i've seen them at a gajillion fundraising events so when i hear their names come up and other things i'm like come on people you just don't know you know you don't know behind the scenes and so it's easy to fall victim to that though when you're on the other side and then the reverse is all it's easy to look at a hardworking mom that's trying to make sure her kids are fed and she's, you know, in the labor cycle or whatever it may be and her head's down and she's tired and she's got, you know, her whole world is consumed with meeting basic needs for those she loves the most. And it's it's easy to look at somebody that's overwhelmed by that kind of stress and make judgments that way too. And, right. And guilty of that crap on both sides. Myself, guilty of mm-hmm. is what it yeah. is. Like I said, blessing in disguise, because I know what that is. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We're going to get to the real, real, the question, the question that we, we ask all of our guests on the show. What is one of the biggest mistakes you have made, missteps in your leadership experience, and you can draw from your entire journey you talked about that you're willing to share with us today? So I got a lot of mistakes. Can I pick two? (laughs) You can pick two. We'll allow it. Okay. First mistake, lack of enjoyment. Um, And that came before business, but like leading from a place of performance instead of leading from a place of transparency, which which made me uh, not enjoy leading. It It was constantly, I felt like I was performing. And second, avoiding confrontation. Those, I would say, are two of my uh, biggest mistakes. One stemming like from how I felt and really my effectiveness. And the mm-hmm. other one being, I would say that's probably my biggest mistake, avoiding confrontation. Uh, just because uh, you, you put the hard conversations off and they get harder. And I have been guilty of that on a number of occasions. Getting much more comfortable in the discomfort uh, at this point in my leadership track. But it has wreaked havoc in my company in the past. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about, we hear these leadership things and it's easy to like paint these own story, our stories in our head of what this looks like unfolding. 
with what you're willing to share and how you can, can you put some context around what that looks like, conflict avoidance, and then what the havoc looks like? I am a guy that does not want to micromanage my people. I feel like if you get your job done, I'm happy. I'm not here to dictate how you get your job done on a daily basis. So if, and we all work very tight together, we have what's called a pit and we've got a bunch of people all jammed into one little area. Um, and for a long time, everything was in this one little area. Now we have this one little area, a glass wall and a doorway and the other little area that we can all see from that little area. So if that made sense. Um, <laughs> point is, we all work basically on top of each other. We are together all day long and can hear and see everything that everyone's doing. Mm-hmm. I refuse to be the guy that is watching people's monitors and seeing what they're doing with their free time. And if they're scrolling through Facebook for too long or if they're, you know, my, I feel like your work's either going to be done or it's mm-hmm. not. We're going to know it's done or it's not. Uh, with that said, um, I have let people take advantage of that. And there have been times where there has been way too much time spent doing whatever somebody wants at work. And instead of sitting them down and being like, your ability to complete your job is uh, getting out of whack here. I make this excuse of, well, I'm going to let them self-regulate. But it was clear at this point that self-regulation wasn't happening. And then the impact, the fallout that that has, because you've got your high performers that are driven and they do not do that. And you know, I'm one of them. I, I don't do that. So when, when those people see this behavior sliding consistently and it's not confronted and it's not dealt with, all of a sudden you've got your biggest performers in the company upset and you've got your lowest performers in the company getting away with pissing everybody off. And and talk about a recipe for disaster and uh, just total discomfort and culture from that point forward. Nobody's happy. So, including me. I mean, it's just becomes an unpleasant atmosphere. Thanks for being part of this community of revolutionary leaders who believe honest communication, healthy conflict, and building cultures of acceptance, respect, and trust are not only possible, but non-negotiable for cultivating world-class teams. If one-to-one coaching, engaging workshops, or strategic planning that is actually useful are anything that interests you, make sure to head over to www.transcendleadershipcollective.com to check out our free resources. Confessions of a Terrible Leader is hosted by Lacey Nelson and produced by Mary Scott. Music is by Leif Olson and Mary Scott from the band The Number of Months. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And until next time, go manage like a leader. Thank you.